Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. All right, good morning. I'm Justin. I'm the campus pastor over at Los Alamitos. So if you're relatively new and you don't know who I am, you're thinking, who's the new guy? I'm not new at all. I'm just not around much. Um, but it is good to be with you this morning. Um, the time is uh, moving quickly. I, I get up to preach much earlier here than I do um, over at Los Al. And, and when I got saved in high school, I went to a Baptist church in the morning and a vineyard youth group on Sunday nights, which, that, you know, figure that out. I don't know. But but I remember that song, and I remember it at the Vineyard Youth Group. It was at least 10 minutes longer. So I thought I had more time, um, <clears throat> but I don't. So here we go. We're in our new series, Walking in the Light, or Walk in the Light. And light and darkness are nearly universal and powerful images, right? Think about the movies, Lord of the Rings was the first one to come to mind for me, maybe because I work for Mike, I don't know. But, um, but probably for a lot of you, you have the evil orcs under the earth with their machines. You have Mordor as this suit-covered citadel of darkness, and then you've got Gandalf the White, and the glow of the elves exude goodness. And, you know, we get this idea. When's the last time when you were watching a movie that you saw something good happen in a dark alley? That's not someplace somewhere go, someone goes to like exchange recipes or something pleasant, right? It's, it's a place where bad stuff happens. Um, dark places bring a mystery, uh, usually of the ominous sort. What's lurking over there? And darkness is where we, we hide things that aren't necessarily what we want the world to see. And it doesn't even have to be bad things. Like, for example, you, you uh, probably put the vacuum in the closet, not as a centerpiece on your kitchen table. Or you uh, don't put your lawnmower in the living room. You put it in an unlit shed. It's just where ordinary stuff goes. Dirty laundry's in a hamper, either in a closet or probably with a lid on it. The dirty, rough, or embarrassing things in life, they go into dark places. I think we just walked into a metaphor. It could be me here, right? Because it doesn't take much to spiritualize this just a little bit. Because no doubt there are some embarrassing moments from your younger years, and that could include this morning, right? Um, that we'd prefer those memories were locked in a dark closet. Maybe it's worse than embarrassment, though. Maybe it's shame. You've been harmed, and you carry it, and you know it's not your fault in your head, but you still sit in that darkness, and it, it, it weighs on you heavily, or it could be worse than that. It could be like the Lamentation series where we walked through a few months ago and you recognize that your sin has put you in a terrible state. And not only has it put you in a bad place, but it's hurt others. And it started out as just this little shadow in the corner, just this little bit of unfaithfulness. And then it grew into something that, that feels like it's going to consume you. And you see how your sin has, has harmed others and how it's even crippling your own soul and it weighs on you. Darkness is really powerful. But thankfully, darkness, if you're in Jesus, it doesn't have the last word, right? Victory is available and victory is assured one day, but it doesn't come by whistling past the graveyard, pretending the darkness doesn't exist. It happens when we live in the light, when we walk in the light, when we let God's light flood the darkness. And so great hope, great healing, thriving in our relationships with God and others, that awaits as we walk in the light. And so I won't be so... um, Arrogant is to say it'll be all be fixed today, but I hope by the end of today, you'll at least see the light on the horizon of, yeah, there is hope if you're in that place of hopelessness. So um, we're going to get into the word, but first we're going to pray. So would you stand with me if you're able and we'll, we'll pray here for a moment. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your truth and that it can transform our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we're all coming here in different places this morning from different places um, where some of us are, are flying high. Life is so good, and we're so grateful for that. Others of us, we don't know how we got here. We don't even know why we're here, but we're broken, we're beaten, we're defeated, and we need a word of hope from you. Some of us, Lord, are stubborn. We think we're right. We think we're always right. And we need you to challenge us. So Lord, wherever we are this morning, I pray that we would have a willingness to listen to your spirit, that we might be changed, that we might hear what you want us to hear, see what you want us to see, and then the courage to do what you're asking us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we are in 1 John chapter 1. We're starting in verse 5, and um, you can turn there, and, and I'll give me a minute, and I'll <clears throat> give you a little background. John's writing to what one commentator calls the secessionists. I like that. Others call them false teachers, the faction, whatever. They're clearly the bad guys. But if we throw them in the bad guy c- uh, category too quickly, we're going to miss out on some opportunities for us. So we need to humanize these guys for a moment because the quickest way for us to stumble into some dark corner is for us to think it could never happen to us. Any of us are capable of making the mistakes that these guys do. And honestly, as we unpack it, um, I think we might find some of ourselves caught in some of these errors that they have. And it's not a problem. Well, I guess it's a problem to be wrong on some things, um, but it's far more of a problem to be intransigent and to say, I'm just not moving on this. And so thankfully, even if we find ourselves stuck in some of these errors that we're going to look at today, um, God's light, that, that, that's why John wrote this, is so that they would get right, so that the way would be shown forward to walk in God's light. So these guys that he's dealing with, they were part of the church. Right? And to be Christian in this time was not the kind of thing one took lightly. So these guys probably started with good intentions. There's a high social cost to being a Christian. So these guys aren't looking to get something out of Christianity, at least it's to the start. But something happens. We don't know how, but we know what happened. And we'll get to the details of their false teaching in just a second. But at some point, there was a dark corner of their heart and their mind created where they could boldly proclaim and then recruit other people to something that was clearly false. So that's what's playing out behind the scenes. And, and with that, we're going to get into the word and we're going to go to verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God bursts forth in this passage as light in all this talk about darkness. He's pure light. Light can mean a lot of things. As we look at it in context, it's more along the lines of goodness, purity, righteousness is what we're talking about here. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus is the light of the world, right? We, 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 might, we know that. But here it's used as the, of, of the Father. So it's true of Jesus too. But when we talk about God in the light, we're talking about the Father in this passage as well. And in fact, I have a central thought most of the time when I preach that you'll get sick of by the end of it, but you'll probably remember it at least till tomorrow, which I'll take. Um, and that's, is, and what it will do, this central thought, is it'll show the relationship between the work of the Father and the work of the Son. And if we lean into those relationships faithfully in the right way, we'll experience wonderful change. So here's the central thought. Here's the thing I want you to remember today. Remember Jesus and run to the Father. Pretty simple. We're going to hit the error of these secessionists one by one, but the answers will almost universally be with some little nuance from time to time. But basically the answer will be, remember Jesus and run to the Father. So... 
let's, with that, unpack this tragedy of errors. We're in verse six. Now, one of the things I noticed when I was studying this, and I've read this passage a million times, but one of the things as I'm studying it is like, there's ifs all over the place. I'm like, what is the deal with all of these ifs? And in verses six, eight, and 10, the ifs introduce the false teaching of this other group. So let's get to error number one. This one's the hardest of the bunch, in my opinion. First part of verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, and I'm leaving it hanging there for a minute, the sentence, but we'll finish it in a minute. Let's call this error number one, the Jekyll and Hyde error, right? Remember uh, last week we talked about, and I don't know how Mike framed it exactly, um, but the idea of a true connection with God is going to result in fellowship with the father and the son and with each other. So that's, that's what we're building off of. But these guys are saying, you know what? We can live however we want and it doesn't affect our relationship with God. We can just do whatever we want. Now this can show up in a few different ways. It could be just craven hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do kind of stuff. And maybe you know folks like that. Maybe you you do that. I don't know. But it could also be more subtle. It could be a deception. Because there were philosophies during this time where the material was considered evil, the physical stuff of creation and the spiritual stuff was good, which is why John, if you remember last week, he says, he says, we touched him. We heard him, you know, all of, all of that in the first four verses to say that Jesus was really in the flesh, but these guys had bought into a philosophy that flesh material is bad. Spiritual is good. And so if I'm right with God on the spiritual plane, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It doesn't matter what I do physically. Cause it's just junk. That's I'm getting rid of anyways. Now you say, well, I'm not that philosophical, so that's not me. But um, we may not be that philosophical about it, but we can do the same things pretty easily. Like, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but anyone have a church personality and a home personality? Or a church personality and a Monday at work personality? It's like when we show up at church, we make sure our fruit of the spirit is on display, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, all that. We got like a little spritzer like at the supermarket to make sure everyone can see it, right? That's kind of how we come to church. Then we go home and the fruit of the spirit, it turns into like broccoli or cauliflower or something, maybe kale, I don't know. But we, that's walking in the darkness, right? So we put one thing on display. So John's like, we aren't having that. Verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, some of you have a sensitive spirit and you're this close to like curling up in the fetal position because you remember when you were a hypocrite in 96 and it's weighing on you, right? So, so we need to, this is a beautiful passage because it is hard to those who are hard-hearted and it is tender to those who are tender-hearted. And so um, it's just an amazing passage. It's a proverbial slap in the face or a splash of cold water. If you think you can do whatever you want when you say you're following Jesus, but it also gives us limitless hope. It's fantastic. Our failures are never final unless we insist on them being so. Because remember our central thought is remember Jesus and run to the father. And this one, it's more about walking with the father in the light, which is more my speed anyways, as opposed to running. So let's look at verse seven here. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So fellowship with God and each other comes necessarily by walking in the light. Walking, by the way, is not literal. It's, it's step by step, and it's a, it's a metaphor for living. Step by step, and you have a life. 
And so we're walking in God's light. We're walking in alignment with his character, with his revelation. And here's the thing. If we haven't, if we mess it up, it's amazing, but he's got it covered. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The light and God's cleansing, they go hand in hand. At first reading, I thought, man, does, is this saying we have to clean up before we can experience his cleansing? And, and that's not it at all. It's the idea that God is realistic enough to know, and we'll get more to that later, that we need cleansing as we go. So we walk in the light, and that's where we continue to experience his cleansing while we walk. Perfection is not a prerequisite, which is great because it's not possible. So while we feel vulnerable, when walking in the light means we, we think, okay, my blemishes are going to be exposed now. Those things that I most want to hide are going to be exposed. But that is where, um, when we bring them out, we realize that they're not exposed. They've been covered by the blood of Jesus. He covers all our sin. He doesn't just tolerate our blemishes. He takes care of them, and then he turns them into trophies of his grace and shows how amazing his goodness is and how powerful he is to bring healing in our life. So how do we do this? How do we respond to this? It's not going to be a rhetorical question in a while. You'll get this. It's remember Jesus and run to the Father, right? We need to quit the split living. And here's the thing, but it's so embarrassing to, to admit my mistakes. The Father knows it anyways. You're not pulling anything over on him. So don't worry about being embarrassed. And it's only in the light where you can experience the healing, not hiding it in the darkness. And God does amazing work once it's out. But when we keep it hidden, we prove ourselves liars. And it festers and it molds and it does all that stuff that happens in the darkness and it misshapes us and it compounds the woundedness. And what's foolish of us, and I say us, because this is me and every one of us at one point or another, so no judgment here is what's foolish is that Jesus has already paid it all. And yet we still continue to think maybe he can't handle the truth. It's paid. We just need to lean into that, experience that, and Jesus can give us the fresh start we need. He's just waiting for us to turn around. So remember Jesus and run to the Father. That one's... I think the trickiest for us, um, and I wish it were that simple and we're done, but these secessionists, they have lots of issues, and, which is good. I, I think in some sense we need to be thankful for them because it shows us the things that we walk into as well from time to time. So error number two next is moving the target. You know, like when you shoot the arrow and then you fill in the bullseye around it type thing. We could be moving the goalposts if you're a sports fan, but either way, what the secessionists are doing here, that's what they're doing here next. First part of verse eight, if we say we have no sin, because they say, well, why would we need cleansing? Because we don't have any sin to be cleansed of. Pretty bold, right? Um, but stick with me because this sounds crazy. It sounds crazy unless it's your favorite sin, right? Unless it's a one that, 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 that is kind of near to your heart. There's a term that is thrown about often of, of live your truth. And if you take the Bible seriously, that's not a thing, right? It, it, there's the truth. There's God's truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Now, I'm not so naive to say it's not hard sometimes to figure out what the truth is. There are lots of perspectives. There are things to wrestle with. There are things we know partially. So it's not always easy, but there's a truth and God has revealed it. 
And the truth is that which corresponds to reality. So when, when, when they say they have no sin, it might have something to do with this underlying philosophy we mentioned earlier. Um, but now instead of splitting between the spiritual and the material, now they're just redefining what sin is. And they're redefining it to fit how they're living. And we do this too. How many of us get indignant over the sins of others? But when it comes to our own, we can think of why we need it or why at least we understand why we do it or how God understands or how God wants us to be happy. But when we move the goalposts, we're not fooling God. We're probably not fooling too many other people either. We're mostly deceiving ourselves. That's what what John says next, verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And it's kind of harsh, but God doesn't stutter or hesitate when it comes to the fact that sin is a big issue. And I I, I got some verses here. They were a late entry. Oh, they got them because they're awesome. So I, I forgot to put these in, but Haley took care of it this morning. If you want to write some down, if you're like, I'm not sure I sin, just read those and you'll be weeping by the end. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, that, like I said, God doesn't stutter. He doesn't hesitate. Sin's an issue. And if you read those verses, any of them, and certainly all of them, it'll shut down the idea that we don't sin. But this doesn't need to unravel us. Now, I almost titled this sermon, The Upside of Sin. And I thought, Mike's not going to be here to hear it. And if he sees that title, I might get fired. So I'm like, I'm not going to go that way. But there is at least one upside to it. There can be. And that is when we sin, that we would remember Jesus and run to the Father. And so John is is this human person. He shepherds human people. and, And so he is using this opportunity of taking this mess and saying, here's how this can be turned beautiful by taking it to the Father. The only sin God can't work with is stubborn pride. Actually, he can work with that too. It just makes the school of hard knocks look like a walk in the park, right? So, so humility is what he can work with best here. And humility means we confess. It means we quit arguing about, with God about what's right and wrong. We agree with him. That's what confession is. And when we do this, this amazing thing happens. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He takes care of it. He's faithful in the sense that he fulfills his promises. And one of those is that he will forgive his people, that he won't hold their sins against them. But this forgiveness, it isn't kind of a cheap dismissing and to no big deal kind of forgiveness. It's costly. And we'll unpack that in a minute and see how so, but For now, when you sin, don't hide it, confess it. Remember Jesus and then run to the father. He's already solved the issue in Jesus. He wipes the slate clean every time. Hiding simply complicates the process. It extends the pain and it amplifies the damage. So that's error number two is is, uh, moving the goalposts there. One more error, kind of. Error three. Let's call this one oblivious arrogance. I don't know what to do with this one. Um, I'm not sure it's the best title. If you have a better one, give it to me and I'll get a better title for second service, I guess. But um, listen to this. I don't even know what to do with this. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned. Now, some say that this is hard to distinguish from the last one, unless they're saying, well, not only am I not sinning now, but since I came to Jesus, however they define coming to Jesus, I haven't sinned since then at all, right? So um, John just doesn't play with this idea. Verse 10 if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that's calling God a liar. That's ratcheting things up another level here. 
So it's not good, not much argument here. John just says that's going nowhere. And I think we understand why. But John's not done. Because we need to be balanced with how we approach sin. Because it's easy to be too severe. Um, we, well, it's, it's easy to be too severe, but um, we also sometimes can back off too much because we remember Jesus run to the Father, everything's great. And it is, but if we're not careful, we can miss the weight. We can miss the horror. We can miss the pain of sin and take it too lightly. And so John's a great pastor here. And so in all of this, he's going to make sure everyone is clear before he moves on to the, the next thing he wants to talk about. Now, because there may be some, uh, we've gone through these three errors. The answer is remember Jesus and run to the father. Everything's all great. Sin must be no big deal. So uh, like the apostle Paul says in Romans, he says, some might say, should we go on sinning so that grace could abound? Does anyone remember what the answer is? No, yeah, may it never be. All kinds of, you know, depends on your translation, right? But it's an emphatic no. And for John, it's still an emphatic no. So look at the first part of chapter two, verse one. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We're getting so much grace here. So John wants to make sure they still understand that this grace isn't cheapened, that they understand the weight of sin. Sin is bad. It's terrible. It diminishes us. It hurts others. It's what's wrong with everything. There's only one upside, and that is we remember Jesus and run to the Father. And so that's where he goes next. Because that we will sin is inevitable. Hopefully it happens less and less as we grow in our faith, but it's inevitable until glory, at least sometimes. And so when it happens, we need to understand that Jesus is at work for us. Chapter two, verse one, we'll read the whole thing this time. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So Jesus is our advocate, and we can think this is kind of courtroom imagery here, um, and maybe a lawyer, but less like a lawyer like who's a hired gun type thing, and more as a benefactor or friend who comes in as our character witness and, and declares his righteousness over us. He's got our back in that scenario, and there's no one you'd rather have, have your back. Now, you say, well, I thought the Holy Spirit was our advocate, and he is as well. Uh, he dwells in us to help us interact with the father here as we're on earth. And Jesus is at the right hand of the father as an advocate for us. Now we're in good hands all over the place, which is amazing, but that's not even the end of it. Verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus stands for us legally, but he also functions as this priest and sacrifice. Propitiation is something we don't use in everyday language. If you do, talk to me because I'd love to hang out, right? Um, But um, it's a fancy theological word, but it's important because what it means is there's a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath because remember sin, it's a big deal. It offends God's honor. It diminishes us. It hurts others. It matters. And if God just waves it off like it doesn't matter and he doesn't recognize the weight of it, he would be unjust. But remember we saw in verse nine, he's faithful and just. So how does this happen? How does this fit together? We are incapable of paying for this sin ourselves. But when the most valuable sacrifice possible is offered to pay for it, enough for the whole world if they would receive it, then the weight of sin is recognized and the relationship can be restored righteously. What a gift, what a savior. And there's something important, I think, 
to, to tackle here is that sometimes, and, and it, I don't know if it's an error here, but I think it's an error for some, is that we turn propitiation into a good cop, bad cop thing, or the mean father is being paid off by the loving son. Um, that's, some people frame it that way, but it's not how it works at all. Father and son are both perfect in their person, eternal in their existence. They are both omni-everything. One is not greater than the other. That's heresy. So father and son, um, it's not like they had an arm wrestling match in heaven and decided who needed to be crucified. This is part of the eternal plan that they have put together. And so they're father and son in terms of their affection for one another in their relationship and the roles of their ministry, not who's boss and who around. And so the cross, while it distinguishes between the persons of the Trinity, is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ paying humanity's debt to the Father. It is God both paying and being paid the sacrifice that is due to make everything right. Um, It is a beautiful working of God three in one, the triune God working together for our salvation to do good to us who don't deserve it. Uh, There's no easy illustration for the Trinity, but the one that illustrates this simply for me anyways is the traffic court judge whose child comes in and was clearly um, speeding and needs to pay the ticket, declares his child guilty, and then she goes and pays the fine out of her own purse. That's not a perfect analogy, but it gets the gist of it. God has done for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we couldn't do for ourselves, and it's beautiful. They work in harmony to see that our debt is paid, God's honor and justice is upheld so that we can have a relationship with him, and it's all for his glory. So with that in mind, why would we not remember Jesus and run to the Father? What an amazing God. And we are his, and he is ours. Can we walk in the light? Just in a couple minutes I have left here this morning, um, I want to wrap up by looking, how can we walk in the light of this amazing relationship? And it, if we're going to remember Jesus and run to the Father, if you're going to remember Jesus, first you got to know him. And so if you, haven't, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that this morning. And if you want to start that, the, the way I like to think about it is ABC. Is A, you need to admit you're a sinner. Um, and that sounds terrible, but it's also true of every one of us. I mean, if you don't believe me, how many of you are still on your uh, New Year's resolution? Anyone? Right? We don't meet our own standards. So we have, the, the fact that we wouldn't be where God wants us to be isn't a stretch. So we admit we're sinners. B is we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again. It, it's not a matter of historical accident that he was crucified. It wasn't a mistake. It was why he came to pay the price so that we could be God's children. And then we need to commit to following him because the demons know and believe. So we've got to move beyond that and say, God, I want to receive that gift and I want to give my life to you. And if that's something that you want, to, you want to talk about today or you want to pray with me or one of the prayer team, we would love, love, love to talk to you about that this morning. But if you're already a Jesus follower and this kind of poked you this morning, um, some of us need to quit rationalizing our sin quit minimizing it, quit dismissing it. We need to name it and seize the opportunity to run to Jesus with it, to remember Jesus and then run to the Father. And when I say remember Jesus, it's remembering that he's paid for it. He's paid for all of it. So walk in the freedom he offers. And it's easier said than done, I know. Sometimes it has its hooks into us deep. 
but freedom awaits and we need to work through the process to experience that, but it's there for us. And then sometimes when we remember Jesus and run to the father, we weren't meant to do this alone, that he's given us each other to help us experience this grace. And so that might be plugging into a life group is a great opportunity for this. Also celebrate recovery has some periodic classes for folks with hurts, habits, and hangups, which all of us fall into one of those categories. So anytime one of those classes are available, I encourage you to to check those out. If you feel like you need a little focused work and a little extra help from some folks. This afternoon, the the Weavers are leading that uh, seminar and the language that they're going to lead us through might be a little different, but we're talking about the same thing. God has done amazing things for us. How do we live and walk in light of that? And so I encourage you to come back at three o'clock this afternoon, right in here. um, And we would love to have you to be part of that. Um, God's amazing. He's done amazing things for us. And sometimes when we don't remember that, when we don't dwell on that, we find it easier to kind of lay back in the shadows and not walk in the light that he has for us. And so I want to encourage us to step out in that. And as we do that first step, next step, they're scary, but there's nothing more beautiful than having God's light shine on you and experiencing the healing, the cleansing, the hope that it brings. So would you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity this morning to remember that. Lord, for many of us, there was nothing new here. um, And yet somehow we find ourselves out of step with it. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to step into the light with you. And we can do that boldly because of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Father, for your amazing goodness to us through your Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.